Hello and welcome to our London History Podcast, where we share our love of London, its people, places and history. It's designed for you to learn things about London that most Londoners don't even know. I am your host, Hazel Baker, a qualified London tour guide and founder and CEO of londonguidedwalks.co.uk. Each episode is supported by show notes, transcripts, photos, further reading and sometimes videos on our website. Simply go to londonguidedwalks.co.uk forward slash podcast and click on the episodes that you fancy. If you enjoy what we do, you'll love our guided walks and private tours that we offer throughout the year. And thanks to all our lovely listeners, we are now in the top 1% of all podcasts listened to globally. Right, let's get into today's episode, which is all about Hannah Snell, the soldier who was a woman. Hannah Snell was an 18th century Englishwoman who is known for having disguised herself as a man and becoming a soldier. She was mentioned in the diary of a country parson by James Woodford. In his entry on 21st of May 1778, he records how he walked up to a White Hart in his parish of Western Norfolk to see Hannah Snell, who, in spite of being a woman, had served for 21 years as a soldier in the army, disguised as a man. It's worth noting, though, that each version of the story of this woman is written by men. We never get Hannah's version of events, and with any story, the facts become obscured by theatrical storytelling, and it is hard to unpick much of the truth. The written history of Hannah Snell was produced by the publisher Robert Walker, a London publisher who lived from about 1709 to 1767. Little is known of Robert Walker's early career. It's believed he embarked on an apprenticeship with printer James Reed at the Stationers' Company in 1724, but quit in his fourth year to go it alone and set up shop at the White Hart at 296 Strand, and that's where he sold the pamphlets. He published cheap and sometimes controversial publications, prints, newspapers, pamphlets, etc., and was a distributor of patent medicines. Why am I giving you a backstory to Robert Walker when the main star is Hannah Snell? Well, in order to survive the publishing world, you needed to be inventive and ruthless. Robert had broken away from the norms and started his own business, publishing pamphlets and having an eye and ear for a great story which would sell was his bread and butter. It wasn't about accuracy or justice. It was about money, plain and simple. And it's something worth having in the back of your mind as you hear the story of Hannah Snell. Hannah Snell was born on 23rd of April 1723 in Friar Street, Worcester, a small cathedral city, thriving community of about 10,000 people. She was the eighth of nine children to Hosier and Dyer Samuel Snell. Hosiers buy wool and give it to the workers who put it through operations which allow it to be used for their goods. Hosiery is a category of knitwear included like knitting socks, full-length stockings, pantyhose, foot gloves, and other such articles. Samuel had two wives, not at the same time. His first wife was Elizabeth, 
And after she died, he married Mary Williams. And it is Mary who's most likely to be the mother of Hannah Snell. Little is known about Hannah's childhood. The biographer mentions how Hannah, at the age of 10, liked to dress in boys' clothing and play in the streets with her friends. Growing up with brothers, it hardly seems unusual, and much of the young and working-class children's clothes in the 18th century were worn by both boys and girls. She was born into a military family. Her brother was a foot soldier, and her grandfather was Captain Lieutenant Samuel Snell. She was given a basic education, learning how to read, but not to write. If she had, perhaps she could have written her own story. By the age of 17, both her parents were dead, and Hannah went to Wapping in London to live with her sister, Susanna Gray, and her brother-in-law, James Gray. Think Mole Hackabout from Hogarth's A Harlot's Progress, and you get the kind of idea. They rented rooms in a small house in Ship Street in Wapping, which is now Prusum Street. And during her time living in Wapping, she met a Dutch sailor by the name of James Sums. On the 6th of January 1744, she married this James Sums at the fleet in a clandestine marriage. However, no record of this marriage appears to exist. The majority of fleet marriages were for honest purposes, when couples simply wanted to get married quickly or at a low cost. And Hannah, at this time, would have been 21 years old. I think we can all remember how impatient we were at that age. During the 1740s, the same decade when Hannah and James got married, up to 6,000 marriages a year were taking place in the fleet area, compared to 47,000 in England as a whole. That's an astonishing number, but not something I have time to go into how and why in this episode. It wasn't long before Hannah regretted marrying James Sums, as described in Robert Walker's pamphlet. He turned out the worst and most unnatural of husbands. Since, though she had charms enough to captivate the heart and to secure the affection of any reasonable man, yet she was despised and condemned by her husband, who not only kept criminal company with other women of the basest characters, but also made away with her things in order to support his luxury and the daily expenses of his whores. The pamphlet tells the story of James Sums abandoning his wife when she was seven months pregnant. We know that their daughter, Susanna Sums, was born on about the 5th of September, 1746. So, date-wise, James had left in the spring, after being married for just over a year. Susanna was baptised on the 3rd of October, 1746, at St George in the East, and about 29 days old. James and Hannah were named as parents in the parish register. Little Susanna Sums didn't survive her first winter. She was buried in St George's Middlesex, which is now in Shadwell, on the 31st of January, 1747, without ever having met her father. Hannah had lost a child, and she hadn't heard from her husband. Robert Walker attempts to explain that she made the decision to impersonate a man, for she had little to lose. She assumed the identity of her brother-in-law, James Gray, and set off to Coventry in search of her wayward husband. 
it took Hannah four days to make the 87.66 miles or 141 kilometres from London to Coventry. The story in the pamphlet states that once Hannah had arrived in Coventry, she was pressed into the army, into Captain Miller's company, part of Colonel Guy's regiment. Press gangs were groups of soldiers or sailors sent out to enforce naval or military service on able-bodied but unwilling men, often by violent coercion. After three weeks in Coventry, she and 17 other new recruits took a three-week journey north to Carlisle, located about eight miles south of the Scottish border. It was there that Hannah supposedly received 500 lashes of the whipcord whilst tied to the gates of Carlisle Castle for stealing a woman her sergeant had asked her to woo for himself. 500 lashes does seem to be rather extreme. Saying that, though, flogging in the British military was a form of corporal punishment inflicted by means of whipping the back of the prisoner. Flogging was authorised in the British Army by the Mutiny Act of 1689 and by the 18th century was in common use, with sentences of up to 1,000 lashes not being unusual. It wasn't until 1832 when Mr Henry Hunt, Member of Parliament for Preston, brought forward the motion of suspending the punishment of flogging in the army for a year, if not forever. For years he had heard the disgust and abhorrence of the treatment of which private soldiers experienced whilst in the British Army. He recounted a time when in the 15th Light Dragoons, then commanded by the Duke of Cumberland, two private soldiers had, to avoid the punishment of flogging, put themselves to death, one by drowning and the other by cutting his throat. It wouldn't be another 56 years until flogging in the army was abolished entirely. After surviving a lashing, Hannah leaves the army after noticing a former lodger of the Grey's house in Wapping. She deserts the army, swapping her regiment coat with one belonging to a pea picker and headed to Portsmouth, a 293-mile journey, or 472 kilometres. However, the dates don't quite match. Firstly, the pamphlet states that Hannah enlisted as a soldier in Coventry in late 1745. That's the same year as the Jacobite Rebellion. And also, according to parish records, her daughter Susanna wasn't born until a year later. And Guy's regiment was not even in England during the time of Hannah's supposed enlistment and only returned to Carlisle in 1747, a year after Walker places Hannah there. Were Hannah's cross-dressing adventures between 1745 and 1747 untrue? Well, makes a good story though, doesn't it? Not a year had gone by since the burial of Susanna Snell. The Royal Navy's sloop, the 24-gun Swallow, was anchored off Portsmouth under Captain John Rosier. 110 men were stationed in the Swallow, including James Gray, a.k.a. Hannah Snell. The Swallow was a sloop. In the 18th century and most of the 19th, a sloop of war in the Royal Navy was a warship with a single-gun deck. The Swallow carried 10 British six-pounders and 14 British half-pound swivels on the upper gun deck. And it was built at Rotherhithe at the cost of £2,144. A sloop was no bigger than the length of three London buses and conditions must have been cramped. 
more so during bad weather. On Wednesday, 1st of November, 1747, the Swallow weighed anchor as part of a fleet of 10 naval ships with 1,200 soldiers and 800 marines, plus vessels belonging to the East India Company, making it the largest European expedition that had ever sailed to the East Indies. And Admiral Edward Biscowen was in command. This was a time when England was at war with France, The object of the mission was to secure British supremacy of the region of Madras, which included seizing the strategic island of Mauritius and the Indian west coast town of Pondicherry, both held by the French. During the voyage, Hannah's domestic talents had been noticed by her lieutenant, Richard Waggett, who asked her to become one of their mess. And from thenceforward, she acted in the capacity of their boy. And by her knack in cookery and her care in washing their linen and mending their shirts, etc., whenever they wanted repairing, she became a favourite amongst them all and was looked upon as the most handy boy belonging to the sloop. Hannah was also assigned military duties, including being stationed upon the quarter deck as one of the after crew and was always in readiness of case of attack. The division of the crew, which is stationed to work the after-sails, were generally composed of ordinary seamen who were not required to go aloft, unlike the topman. After a month, the Swallow arrived at Lisbon, Portugal, where repairs took three weeks. On Christmas Eve 1747, the Swallow set sail on a journey of 6,092 nautical miles for Cape Town accompanied by HMS Vigilant, a 60-gun British fourth-rate ship on the line, once belonged to the French. Within hours, the two ships were separated. Instead of returning to Lisbon, Captain Rosier changed course for the British colony of Gibraltar. Lieutenant Richard Waggett had fallen seriously ill. Upon arriving in Gibraltar, Hannah nursed him back to health before the Swallow continued her journey to Cape Town. The Swallow rejoined the fleet, having arrived at Cape Town on the 6th of May, 1748. Two days later, the Swallow joined the fleet on a seven-week journey to Mauritius. The Swallow undertook a survey of the island's coast. The mission's primary objective was the invasion of Pondicherry, and so Admiral Briscowen, after a council of war, had decided that losses would potentially be too much, and so the fleet headed for the Coromandel coast of India. The fleet arrived at Fort St David, 12 miles south of Pondicherry, on the 27th of July, 1748. The French were prepared for the British Navy, and monsoon season was coming. The pressure was on. The siege of Pondicherry was conducted by British forces against a French East India Company garrison under the command of Governor-General Joseph-Francois Duplier at the Indian port of Pondicherry. On the 31st of July, the Swallows Marines went ashore, ordered to set up camp two miles from Fort St David. Marine and East India Company battalions, in addition to 3,000 Indian troops and porters, prepared for battle. On the cool early morning of 8th of August 1748, the English battalions marched towards the French fort of Ariane Copan, only four miles from Pontecherry, and that's where they made camp. The French abandoned their position after nine days, and the English took possession. 
1,100 sailors were trained to boost numbers. And on the 26th of August, the British marched towards Pondicherry, digging trenches in order to set up their cannons. Hannah and her comrades lay in those trenches, avoiding gunfire and mortars. The weather began to turn. The rains filled the trenches with mud up to the waist. In Walker's pamphlet, she stood so deep in the water, she fired no less than 37 rounds of shot and during the engagement received six shot in her right leg and five in the left. And what affected her more than all the rest, one so dangerous in the groin. However, the official ship's muster rolls shows that James Gray and a number of his comrades were transferred from the Swallow to the Eltham Man of War on the 30th of September, and no injuries were noted. Walker's story, however, puts Hannah in a hospital at Cuddalore, just outside Fort St David, where she removed the bullet from her own groin and treated the wound with ointments she purchased from an Indian nurse. And it was there where she convalesced for three months. She rejoined the Altum and there they set sail for Bombay, where the ship underwent extensive repairs for five weeks. Here is where another story of unfair behaviour occurs, where the first lieutenant of the ship, George Allen, orders Hannah to sing a song for him, which she refuses. She is then accused of stealing a shirt for which she is clapped in irons for five days and given 12 lashes. Naval records show James Gray survived the siege of Pontecherry unscathed. On 24th of October 1748, the Elton, with Gray on board, set sail for Bombay. On the journey, half of the crew became ill with scurvy. They arrived in Bombay on the 3rd of January 1749 and didn't leave until 3rd of May. The Eltham's muster rolls reveal that James Gray was involved in a second siege between June and August 1749. Eleven ships were ordered to sail to Porto Novo and seize the fort of Devricotta. The Eltham anchored off Porto Novo with James Gray on the 29th of May 1749. On the 11th of June, the Marines were sent ashore and the fort was captured the next day returning to the Eltham on 13th of June and then returning to Fort St David on the 1st of August. On 2nd of August, James Gray was admitted to Cuddalore Hospital and remained there for two months before rejoining the Eltham and setting sail for England. Why was he admitted to Cuddalore Hospital? Well, no records survive, but 20 members of the same crew in total were sent to the hospital in August and September, with a further six dying before reaching hospital. A wound for the story was necessary, though, for without them, she wouldn't be entitled to get a military pension. The siege of Pondicherry would have been a big story back home. A skirmish in Devacotta, not so much, if at all. So being wounded at Pondicherry would have made for a better story. In October, the Eltham started its journey back to England. While the ship was being repaired in Lisbon, Hannah gained the nickname Miss Molly Gray due to her inability to grow a beard. 
While out being a boon companion with her crew in Lisbon, Hannah hears from a sailor formerly acquainted from her husband's sums, where he sailed to Genoa via Amsterdam and Cork, and within weeks of his arrival had quarrelled with a local gentleman and fatally stabbed him. Sums was sentenced to death, placed in Hessian sacks filled with stones and thrown into the harbour. There is no evidence for this. But for whatever reason, Hannah needed to be free of James Gray. The Eltham arrived at Portsmouth in May 1750 and Hannah took lodgings with her comrades at the Jolly Marine and Sailor in Portsmouth. Two days later, Hannah headed back to London with ten marines after having been paid five shillings conduct money. She went back to Ship Street in Wapping to the home of her sister and brother-in-law, the real James Gray. In Walker's pamphlet, it was on Saturday the 9th of June 1750 that Hannah and her fellow Marines went to Downing Street to the house of John Winter, agent to their regiment, for their payment for two and a half years' service. She received £15, along with two suits, which she sold for 16 shillings. In the 18th century, for instance, clothes in particular represented a much higher proportion of normal spending than they do now. A man's suit could easily cost £4 and a gentleman's suit in excess of 8 And a typical mid-18th century man's outfit considered of a full skirted knee-length coat, knee breeches, a vest or long waistcoat, uh, a linen shirt with frills, maybe, and linen underdrawers. And men wore silk stockings and leather shoes with stacked heels of low or medium height. The whole ensemble would have been topped off by a tricorn, a three-cornered hat with an upturned brim. And if you look at the picture of Hannah Snell, that is what indeed she is wearing. The co-workers went to celebrate their newfound wealth at a local tavern, and that's where Hannah's sister and brother-in-law were waiting. She revealed her true identity to her comrades, who were initially shocked by her revelation. On the 16th of June, 1750, Hannah approached the Duke of Cumberland's carriage while it was stationary in St James's Park. The Duke was the Captain General of the British Army. Hannah gave him her petition and Adjutant General Colonel Napier was ordered to test the authenticity of her petition. A week later, the Whitehall Evening Post broke the story with a rather romanticised version of events. On the 28th of June 1750, Hannah first performed a new song at the New Wells Theatre in Goodman's Fields. Hannah's act would be, amongst others, such as acrobats, rose dancing, slapstick, and she dressed in her marine habit, sang two songs. Between 29th of June and 6th of September, Hannah had made 60 appearances, performing every night except Sundays. On the 19th of July, the general advisor announced that in addition to her new songs, she would go through the manual exercises of a soldier in her regimentals. The tabor and the drum give a life to her march. Hannah performs this improved act for six weeks and receives a weekly salary, although the amount is unknown. It was during this time, 3rd of July 1750, that the printer and publisher Robert Walker published Hannah Snell's biography, The Female Soldier, 
of the surprising life and adventures of Hannah Snell. This 46-page pamphlet, known as a chapbook, at the price of one shilling, was a runaway success. A longer, nine-part serialised edition was published on the 14th of July. And by that time, there were four different portraits of Hannah sold on the streets across England. Only three days after Robert Walker published Hannah's story, that the Scots magazine described her thus. She wears man's clothes, a laced hat and cockade sword and ruffles, and is not to alter the military dress till further orders from the Duke. They continue. For a supply of ready money, she has been induced to sing a song and perform the military exercise at Goodman's Fields Wells. Which is alluded to in the conclusion of the following verses. Hannah in breeks behaved so well that none her softer sex could tell. Nor was her policy confounded when near the mark of nature wounded. Which proves what men will scarce admit that women are for secrets fit. That healthful blood could keep so long amidst young fellows hale and strong demonstrates, though a seeming wonder, that love to courage truckles under. Oh, how her bedmate bit his lips and marked the spreading of her hips and cursed the blindness of his youth when she confessed the naked truth. Her fortitude to no man's second, to woman's honour must be reckoned. Twelve wounds! Twas half great Caesar's number that made his corpse the ground encumber. How many men for heroes nursed had left their colours at the first? Twas thought Achilles' great glory that Homer rose to sing his story, and Alexander mourned his lot that no such bard could then be got. But Hannah's praise no Homer needs. She lives to sing her proper deeds. Hannah's run at the New Wells Theatre lasted until the 6th of September of the same year. She also gave a one-off performance at the New Wells Spa on the 11th of September, across the New River from the New Wells Theatre. On the 27th of November, 1750, at the age of 27, Hannah Snell, alias James Gray, was admitted as an out-pensioner to the Royal Hospital. The records of the Royal Hospital Chelsea Regimental Register of Pensioners records that Hannah, in the guise of James Gray, her brother-in-law, served for four years and six months in the 2nd Regiment of Marines, having been wounded at Pontichery in the thigh and both legs, born at Worcester, her father a dyer. Her pension awarded her £18 and 5 shillings per annum, paid every June. She was equates to about five pence a day for the rest of her life. By 1751, the Greys no longer lived on Ship Street. On the 3rd of November, 1759, Hannah married Richard Isles of Newbury, Berkshire, and they had two sons together, Thomas, the youngest, and George, the eldest. Thomas died young and George was baptised, but only at the age of six years at St Luke's in Chelsea. In the 1760s, her sister Susanna and James Gray died, possibly Hannah's husband too. All died in poverty. 
James Gray died of consumption at St George Workhouse, a few streets from Ship Street. 16th November 1772, Hannah married bachelor Richard Habgood at Wickham Chapel, Berkshire. Her son George became an attorney, having completed his clerkship with the King's Bench attorney, Augustine Greenland, in Marleybone. On Christmas Day 1781, George married Jane Simpson at St Paul's Church in Covent Garden, and they had two daughters, Harriet and Elizabeth. Seven years later, in 79, the Gentleman's Magazine wrongly listed Hannah's death in the obituary pages, claiming she was found dead on a heath in Warwickshire. However, Hannah lived until 1792. By 1785, the Board of Commissioners at Chelsea Hospital received a petition to increase Hannah's pension. The Board agreed and increased her pension to one shilling a day, in compassion to her infirm state of health. Was it a coincidence that the request was sent at the same time George and Jane were expecting their third child and George was due to pay £100 duty on his articles of clerkship? Hmm. In 1785, Hannah moved with George and Jane and their children to Church Street, Stoke, Newington. George commissioned a copy of Richard Phelps' 1750 portrait of his mother and sold it by subscription. On the 6th of August 1791, the hospital's Board of Governors at Bethlehem Royal Hospital, also known as Bedlam, read a petition requesting the admittance of Hannah. Two weeks later, on the 20th of August, her son George Isles admitted his mother to Bedlam Hospital. Bedlam Hospital had a reputation. I can't find anything in 1700s description, but this is a parliamentary committee description of Bedlam Hospital in 1814. It said, Many women were locked up in their cells, naked and chained, on straw, with only one blanket for covering, and the windows being glazed, the light in winter was shut out for the sake of the warmth. Six months after being admitted to Bedlam Hospital, Hannah died. It was customary for deceased patients of Bedlam Hospital to be buried in an unmarked grave at the Royal Chelsea Hospital under the new infirmary. However, Five days before her recorded death on the 3rd of February 1792, a James Gray was buried at Chelsea Hospital. Hannah's death prompted the odd comment in periodicals, but little else. However, her story captures our imaginations, even to this day. What happened to the son who abandoned his mother? George Isles lived until the ripe old age of 85 and died in Ratcliffe Workhouse in an area now split between the modern-day districts of Limehouse, Stepney and Shadwell. Hannah Snell was one of only two women to have been granted a pension by the Royal Hospital. Christian Davies, or Mother Ross, was reported to have received a pension after many years' service in the beginning of the 18th century. Unconfirmed sources say David was buried at Chelsea Hospital with military honours in 1739. Is that where Hannah got her inspiration from? And that's the sad story of Hannah Snell. 
And for the 1% of our listeners from the Netherlands, uh, well, you might enjoy a brand new series called The Disaster Year 1672 on MPO2. And that starts from October the 21st. However, on October the 28th, on episode two, Viand Engeland, you might see yours truly. That's all for now. See you next time.